Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. You know this message that you're about to hear. I pray that it not only inspires you, but encourages you to follow Jesus even more. In fact, there are probably people in your life who need to hear this timely word. Chances are you're thinking about them right now. Share this message with them. And listen, if you're watching on YouTube, let me encourage you to hit subscribe, stay tapped in. You know, I also wanna take the time to thank all those who support us. We wouldn't have any ministry outside these four walls if it weren't for our friends who come alongside us in prayer and supporting us financially. You know, there are thousands, there are thousands who are benefited by this ministry because of your giving, and we thank you. To continue or to even start supporting our mission to help others and their families follow Jesus, you can give by visiting cfmiami.org slash give. We also wanted to update you on something important. Recently, our on-demand services will be available starting Sunday evenings. To catch the entire service, be sure that you're logging onto our live streams when we begin services Sunday morning at 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. Otherwise, you'll be catching the service midway through. Enjoy this sermon. Amen, amen. How many of you believe that today? That He will never fail you? He will never leave you? He will never forsake you? If you believe that today, come on and give Jesus a loud shout of praise at all of our campuses. He is our firm foundation. I am built, my life is built on the rock. Amen. 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 Well, hey, if you're joining us for the first time, I want to tell you that it's not by mistake that you're here today. It's not by coincidence. It's not arbitrarily or you're, you just randomly showed up. But God brought you to this place so that you can experience life change. Amen. I want to take a moment and welcome all of our campuses across Miami, our West Kendall campus, Doral, Redland, Core Gables downtown. If you're watching us online, thank you so much for being a part of our experience. My name is Carlos and I serve as the executive pastor here and so honored to teach God's word today. And so if you have your Bibles, we are in the middle of this series that we've entitled The God Who Sees. And uh, we learned at the beginning that God sees our affliction. And this weekend, we're going to learn that God sees our doubts. That God sees our doubts. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis 38. And we're going to begin in verse 10. Here's what the Word of God says. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself. In other words, Sarah doubted the promise of God. And she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Amen? You can have a seat now at all of our campuses and... You know, my wife, Shawnee, and I, many of you know, we've been married for uh, 10 years. And this year, August 5th, we're going to celebrate our 11-year anniversary. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And we actually met here at Christ Fellowship in a small group in our young adult ministry. Shout out to our young adult ministry. They do an amazing job, Pastor Gabe and the leaders there. Uh, but you know, when Shawnee and I, we, we got married, uh, we, we didn't have a over-the-top wedding. It was, you know, a budget, you know, because of financial reasons. We didn't have the capacity. So we had a very simplistic wedding ceremony and party and all that. It was nice and, and beautiful. But what I did want to spend a lot of money and I did a lot of research and I put a lot of effort is to ensure that we had an over-the-top honeymoon experience. 
And so I looked online and we were going to go on a, a cruise. We we're thinking of maybe Europe or other places, but I decided uh, to book this one week long uh, trip to an all-inclusive resort in the beautiful island of Jamaica. How many of you are from Jamaica here? Yeah, you'll make some noise. This all-inclusive resort had uh, 14 different restaurants, uh, Italian, seafood, uh, Mediterranean, uh, steaks, lobsters, I mean, organic, everything you could think of. It included all the water sports like scuba diving and snorkeling. All of that was included, about seven different pools, uh, five different jacuzzi. I mean, it was a, a beautiful resort. So we were excited and looking forward to it. And we were all with a lot, you know, we, we were so looking forward to this trip. And all of a sudden we land uh, to the amazing island of Jamaica, but before getting to the resort, uh, they tell us to go into this small van with another couple uh, that looks something like this. All right, it wasn't this bad, but I'm telling you, it looked very sketchy. And so I go into the van and the driver was not the most hospitable. He was not the nicest, not the most warmth person. And so all of a sudden, I start thinking like a movie, like this is where the ominous music comes up. And then like, where is this taking me? What's going to happen? And so I'm here thinking we're going to a beautiful, all-inclusive resort, and it's going to be about 20 minutes away or 30 minutes away. But we're driving through this beautiful island, and it's taking a while. And so all these thoughts of doubts begin to creep into my mind uncertainty, questions. Where is this person really taking us? And the couple next to us, the lady was from Michigan. They were a young couple. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting anxious. Her stomach, she's getting nauseous. She feels like throwing up. She's touching the side of her neck to make sure that blood is flowing to, to her brain. All this is happening. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be the shortest uh, marriage ever. Shawnee and I have only been married for 27 hours, and we're about to die. So what I thought was going to be this troubled-free experience, uh, this amazing over-the-top uh, time and trip, careless experience with my beautiful new bride, all these thoughts, doubts, questions, and uncertainty began to permeate my mind. And the longer I was in that sketchy van, the more I doubted. I didn't know where this person was taking us. Now, why do I share that story with you today? See, because don't miss the point in all this. Because that is an image of how we operate with God. When God does not answer a prayer like we expect him to answer, when things do not go like we expect them to go, when we face adversity in life, when we face challenges in life, when we face difficult seasons in life, we oftentimes doubt God and his promises. And if we were to be honest with each other, maybe you're doubting God. God, if you are good, why did my marriage fall apart? You must not be good, God, or you must not be powerful to stop that. God, if you are good, why did my father, a mother, or a son, why did they die from an illness? If you are so good, God, why did this happen? 
And oftentimes, we begin to doubt God. So what we're going to learn today is how do we overcome the doubts that come into our lives? And how does God respond to our doubts? And so we love to take notes here at all of our campuses. I want to encourage you to take out your listening guide, take out your Christ Fellowship app, West Kendall, Doral, Redland, Coral Gables, downtown, if you're watching us online. This is the first point that I want you to write down today. Doubt is a normal emotion for us all to experience. Doubt is a normal emotion for us to all experience. Now let's go back to Genesis 18, verse 1, the beginning of that passage. And I want to take it to verse 1 because this is the beginning of that narrative. But I want to set up the scene for us to understand. The Bible says in verse 1, the Lord, say with me, Lord. Lord. Say it like you mean it, Lord. Lord. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing by. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Do not pass your servant by. Now, let me help you understand what's happening there. Because the Bible says that the Lord appeared to Abraham, but then all of a sudden you see uh, this setting of three men coming towards them. Well, you really study this narrative. Uh, the three men, two of them are actually angels, and the other one is actually uh, a, a form of the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, we've shared with you many weeks ago uh, that we learned about this word called Christophany, and Christophany is moments in the Old Testament where Jesus Christ would take a form of a person and it would be a form of the pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, we see that in Genesis chapter 32 when God wrestles, uh, Jacob wrestles with God. That is a form of the pre-incarnate Christ, uh, Christophany. And Judges chapter 6 when God, the Lord, appears to Gideon uh, before he battled, goes on the battle and takes the 300 men. That is another form of Christophany. And so as Abraham sees these three men, two of them are angels and one of them is the pre-incarnate Christ. And so he goes towards them and the word of God says in that narrative that he begins uh, to serve them. And so as he begins to serve them, they are in his home, they're in his tent, they're uh, probably, you know, having, they're having a meal. And this is what verse nine says. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said, then one of them said, I will surely return about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, while they're having this conversation, look at what happens. Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind them, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, I am worn out, and my Lord is old. What now? How will I have this pleasure? Now, let me sort of modernize uh, so they can help us understand what, what's happening there. When she hears these men talking about her having a child, at this juncture in, in this narrative, Abraham is 99 years old and Sarah is 89. So when she hears the promise again, because remember, God gave them the promise in Genesis chapter 12, 24 years before. She now doubts, and she laughs. She says, um, great-granddaddy A.B., Abraham, he's old. In other words, the kitchen is closed. 
the oven doesn't turn on anymore. How can this be? This doesn't make sense. Now, keep in mind, in Genesis chapter 12, God gives them a promise that they're going to have a child together. Abraham does have another child with someone else, but they have not had a child together. When God gives the promise to Abraham, he was 75 years old in Genesis chapter 12. Now he's 99 years old, which 24 years have passed. It's a lot of seasons, a lot of years, a lot of experiences. Uh, Sarah was 65 years old, and now she's 89 years old. So a lot of time has passed. And so the longer that she had been waiting for this promise, in her mind, the more she questioned God's promise. The more uncertainty began to creep in and permeate her mindset and her heart. God, you said you were going to do this 24 years ago, and now you're saying that you're doing it next year. I am laughing because I'm doubting. What she doesn't understand is that God does not operate in the time of Abraham. God does not operate in the time of Sarah. He operates in his own time. And the more that she waited, the more that she doubted. You know, one of the things I shared many, many years ago is I was born and raised in Miami, and then I moved to uh, North Carolina. And one of the things I quickly discovered about North Carolina, when someone, someone tells you an event or a party starts at 9, it's going to start at 9. Yeah, we had moved to North Carolina, and there was a church event, a men's breakfast, and it started at 9 a.m., and I thought I was going to be early because I showed up at 9.15. I was like, ah, it hasn't even started. People are still trickling in. It doesn't matter. 9.15, the parking lot was filled with cars. Everyone was already eating breakfast. The worship was about to start. If I would have shown up 15 minutes later, I would have missed the entire breakfast. Then I moved to Miami. And I forgot that things are different in Miami. So then a friend of mine invited me to a baby shower at 2.30, and I showed up at 2.29. Nobody was there. The people that were setting up, their family showed up about five, 10 minutes later. I'm like, what's going on here? I was waiting around. I just started helping them out. Do you need me to pick up some food for you guys? Juan, how can I help you decorate this table? Do you need me to put, do you need me to wash this? Or what do you, like, I just started helping this. And and I waited and the party was supposed to start at 2.30, but it actually started around 5.30. I forgot about Cuban time. I love Cuban people. I have family that are Cuban. I forgot. You see, God does not operate in American time. He doesn't operate in Cuban time. He doesn't operate in your time. God operates in his own time. And if God said he's going to do it, oh, you better believe it. He is going to follow through it. How many of you believe that? Because God's promises are always yes and amen. I am preaching to somebody at Doral. I am preaching to somebody at West Kendall. I am preaching to somebody today. So Sarah was like, A.B. old. A.B., he's old. And so she laughed with Doubt, but I love this because if you're taking notes, write this down as your next point. God sees and acknowledges her doubt. And he sees and acknowledges our doubt. Look what he says. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I see the doubt. 
and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? See, every single one of us, we've all had moments of doubt. Every single one of us, we've all had moments where we've questioned God's promises over our life. And if that is you today, there are many men and women in the Bible that have had moments of doubt when God calls Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, says, Moses, you're my guy. You're going to be the prophet. You're going to be the leader. Moses said, I'm not the right person. I'm doubting God, the calling. I'm not skillful enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not a good leader. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the abilities to be able to deliver your people out of Egypt. You got the wrong person. He doubted God. David, throughout Psalms, you read the Psalms. God, are you listening to my prayers? God, are you there? You treat my enemies better than you treat me. Why have you forsaken me? How long is this journey going to take? Doubted God. Thomas, who saw Jesus Christ in the flesh, he saw Jesus do the miracles of turning water into one and feeding 5,000 people with the little boy's lunchbox, two pieces of fish, and, and five pieces of bread. Saw Jesus walk on water. Thomas in John chapter 20 says, unless I see him and unless I touch and I see the marks, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas. And it's very unfair to call him Doubting Thomas because we've all doubted. Nobody's saying Doubting Michael or Doubting Melissa. We've all had moments that we've doubted. See, every single one of us, we've had moments that we've doubted God. But when it comes to doubting God, here's the next point that I want you to write down today. Doubt towards God, not away from God. Doubt towards God, not away from God. I'll give you an example. In Genesis chapter 3, when the enemy, the serpent, comes to Eve, what does he tell her? Did God really say that you should not eat from any tree in the garden? He planted a seed of doubt. She said, no, 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 that's not true. God said that you can eat from any tree. He ju you just can't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. Then he plants another seed of doubt. Says, if you eat from that tree, you will know all the knowledge of good and evil. And trust me, it's good for you to eat from that tree. What does Eve do? She doesn't bring her doubt to God. She doesn't say, God, uh, I was encounter, encountered by a serpent and he said this. What does that mean? I'm doubting. I have questions. I have uncertainties. No. She goes to Adam and they fall into sin. And they, the Bible says in Genesis 3, they isolated themselves from God. The doubts took them further and further away from God. They hid. They tried to hide from the presence of God, but God is everywhere. They didn't bring their doubt to God, but rather they took their doubt away from God. When Moses doubted God, he took his doubt towards God. God, I'm not skillful enough. I I'm coming to you. When David doubted God, he was praying to God. His doubts, he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't trying to omit his doubts. He was telling God, God, I doubt you right now. 
I doubt that you're going to come through. But he was bringing his doubts to God. And the moment that he brought his doubts to God, he, conviction came over his life. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm doubting God, but I know God is good. And I know he's my refuge. I know he's my strength. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and even though I have some doubts and uncertainty, goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. How many of you believe that today? I am preaching to somebody today at all of our campuses. Bring your doubts to God. Not only do we doubt the promises of God, sometimes intrusive thoughts come into our mind. You may doubt if God really does exist. Let's be honest. There may be moments in your life that you think, oh, what if there's no heaven or a hell? And we all just die. And it's done. This life that we live, completely done and we're decimated and there's no eternal state. What if the Bible really is not God's inspired word? What if the Bible is not really God's word and Jesus Christ is just a made-up story and it's not really real? And this movement that started 2,000 years ago, it's all just a fairy tale. It's just all a fable. What if... What if I'm following the wrong religion? And maybe you've had those thoughts. And there are people that ask me that, and I go, listen, with conviction, I can say that the Bible is the word of God. But here's something that I tell them because they're so skeptical. I say, all right, what if heaven and hell doesn't exist? What if uh, what we're following is a hoax? And uh, this is all a a made-up story. And this movement that many people, so many people died for, It's all made up and it's all a fairy tale. What if? What's the consequence of following the teachings of Jesus? What is the aftermath or the impact of following the teachings of Jesus? Even if it's not true, which it is true, but even if it's not, you're just going to be a better husband because you're going to serve your wife like Christ loves the church. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better father a better son, a better daughter, a better grandfather, a better citizen, a better neighbor, a better employee, a better entrepreneur, a better uh, child. You're going to be a better person. So guess what? Guess what? With Jesus, you have nothing to lose but everything to gain. Conversely, without Jesus, you have everything to lose and nothing to gain. So guess what? I'm going to choose Jesus because he's the king of kings and Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. How many of you believe that today? You're going to choose Jesus even in your doubts. Tell the person next to you, choose Jesus. Tell the other person next to you that you ignored, choose Jesus. Listen, faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the means that helps you overcome your doubts. A strong faith is not a faith that never doubts. No. A strong faith is a faith that gets you through the doubts, that your faith is stronger and you're closer to God. You are more of a man and woman of God. After you've gone through those questions and doubts, I'm going to hold on to the rock because he is my firm foundation. You know, you know, Sarah that doubted, Sarah that doubted God. In Genesis chapter 18, she doubted God. She laughed at the promise. In Genesis chapter 1, she also laughs 
when Isaac is born. But no longer does she laugh because of doubt. Now she laughs because of joy. Isn't that amazing? She no longer laughs because of doubt. Now she's laughing because, oh my gosh, God, you are so good. Your promises are yes and amen. God, you came through. You followed through with your word. God, what you promised, you said you were going to do, you fulfilled it. And here is my son. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of faith. It's like the hall of fame of men and women of, of the Old Testament. And it talks about all these different men that by faith, uh, Abraham left his land to follow God and the promises that he had for him. By faith, Noah built an ark, not knowing what was going to happen to him. By faith, Moses uh, took, left the, the pleasures of Egypt to follow the calling of God. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Joseph. Do you know that doubting Sarah is one of the only two women that are mentioned in that hall of faith? Isn't that amazing? Look at what Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verse, verse 11 says, by faith. Say with me, faith. faith. Say it like you mean it, faith. faith. Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, she, she, she considered him faithful who had promise. Doubting Sarah got through her doubts, through her questions, and she by faith took on the promises that God had for her. And she is listed in the hall of fame, hall of faith for believers. Isn't that amazing? Because faith, doubt, faith is not the absence of doubt, but rather the means to help you overcome the doubt. How many of you believe that today? Come on and give Jesus a shout of praise. Amen. So how does God respond to our doubt? Well, write this down as your next point for today. God increases your faith by displaying his power. He displays his power. Look what the Bible says in that verse, in that passage. The way that he responds to Sarah, he doesn't uh, point to her inabilities, but instead he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. I love this. He doesn't point to her inabilities, to her weakness. He doesn't expose her lack of trust, her lack of faith, or her doubt. But instead, he affirms his power. He doesn't say, Sarah, you have to trust more and stop doubting. No, he reminds her of the promise. And then he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? He displays his power. So whenever you have doubts, there are two ways that I'm going to share today, but there are many other ways. There are two ways that God clearly displays his power, even to the most skeptical people. One of them, if you're writing notes, write this down as your next point, is through creation. Through creation. Look at what Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says. For since the creation, so me creation, say like you mean a creation. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has been, what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Think about this for a moment. Think about the grandeur, the beauty, uh, the magnificence, the, 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 how majestic and how uh, great the creation is all around us. 
And I want us to take a moment right now because some of us may even doubt the existence of God, but I want us to think of it in a logical sense, not in a spiritual sense. Because scientists that are not believers, that are not Christians, they would tell you that in order for us to have life on this planet, that we can worship together, we can be living here, it's contingent upon an extensive amount of factors. And if only one of those factors were to be a hairline off, every single one of us, instantly, we would all die. Every single one of us. For example, the Earth's atmosphere is made up of the following. Oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, and argon. If you look at this pie graph, this pie graph represents numbers that have a life-sustaining environment for us to habitate this planet. The other pie graph represents that we would all die, that it's lethal, that we would all, instantly, we would all pass away. Now, if you were to study these pie graphs and look at them really close, they almost look exactly the same. Think about that. Are there any major differences? You see, if our oxygen level here was 6% higher, all of us instantly, we would suffocate and we would all die. If it was 3% lower, this planet would become a giant fireball and every single one of us, we would all die. If carbon dioxide would increase by 0.05%, every single one of us, we would instantly what? We would instantly what? We would instantly die. If it decreases by 3%, we would instantly, by 0.03%, we would all die. Did you know that planet Earth, it sits on an axis of 23.5 degree angle? And if it were to be one degree higher, uh, 24.5, it would be too cold for us to habitate this planet. And if it were to be one degree lower, it would be too hot for us to be here and be, have life here on this planet. And every single one of us, we would all, what? We would all die. Water molecule is the only molecule that its liquid form is more dense than its solid form. And because of that, when water freezes, it creates these icebergs and the icebergs float on water. If that wasn't the case, the iceberg would sink to the bottom of the ocean and it would freeze the entire ocean. And every single one of us, we would, we would die. Think about that. The sun, because of where it's at, if it was 2% closer to us or 2% further, we would not be able to habitate this world. Planet Jupiter, because of its size and the orbit that it is on, scientists say that it protects us from receiving 10,000 asteroids. And if it wasn't its size, then we would all die. It's almost like that planet is putting together pigs for us to shoot a free throw or a three-pointer or blocking for us. You know, scientists, not even Christian people will tell you this, that the odds of us being able to enjoy and have life on this planet are so astronomically uh, difficult that it is like tossing a coin every second, tossing a coin, and it always lands on heads for the next 10 billion years. Think about that. Do you think that that happens arbitrarily? Do you think that that happens by chance? Random. 
that something came out of nothing, that the Big Bang Theory is the reason why we're here today and we can enjoy this beautiful planet with 195 countries? Do you think it's the steady state theory or the pulsating theory? Do you think it's any of those theories? No, it is the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, with all his power, with all his creativity, with all of his glory, he created this planet for us to enjoy. So if you ever doubt that there is a God who exists, look at creation. If God, with the power of his words, he didn't delegate it to the angels, he didn't delegate it to anyone else, but with the power of his words, he created this entire universe and he sustains this world in his hands. How is he not going to sustain your life when you go through adversity? Think about this. So if you ever doubt God, look at the beauty of creation. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, 4, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. By the word of his power. So one of the ways that he increases your faith when you have doubts is through creation. The other way is through his word. The other way is through his word. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped and complete for every good work. Now, I know what some of you who are skeptical are thinking, you know, Pastor Carlos, I know that uh, God, you know, shows his power through creation. Uh, but the truth of the matter, how do I know? There, there's so many deities, there's so many religions, there's so many uh, philosophies, ideologies, so many teachings, uh, so many ancient writings, so many sacred scriptures. How, how do I know that the God of the Bible, the God that we read and, and, and the word of God, how do we know that that is the true God? How do we know that Jesus Christ really is the God that I should worship? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and reproofing so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But that's theology. But let's look at this now in a more logical sense. See, the Bible is not one book. The Bible is 66 books put together. So if you go to a library and you go to a bookshelf and you see many books, think of the Bible being 66 different books and it was all put together, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And that's what we have, the Word of God. It was written by around 40 different authors in a time span of 1,500 years, different backgrounds, different traditions, uh, uh, different uh, occupations. You have fishermen, you have physicians, you have shepherds, you have kings, priests, uh, judges. All those factors, they didn't have social media back then. So it wasn't like Peter was looking on his phone and saying, oh, look at what Abraham tweeted about. <sighs> oh, look what Luke DM'd me. Look what I saw on TikTok from Sarah. She's doubting. Let, let me go and, and, and write. No. All these different books, 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, in a time span of 1,500 years by all these authors, yet there's one cohesive theme all throughout Scripture. Think about that for a moment. And that one cohesive theme 
is that Jesus Christ, God's plan for redemption for humanity, is sent through Jesus Christ. All from Genesis to Revelation, that he died to forgive you from your sins. That if you trust and believe and you repent from your sins, you will have everlasting life. How can this be? Any other writing, any other religious writing, it's one author, one interpretation, one inspiration. This author put together the book and wrote, and that's what people follow. Just one person, 40 different authors. How can this be? Because it's not really 40 different authors, but instead it's one author who inspired these men to put together these words. That's why I can trust the word of God when I doubt God and when I have questions. Listen, there are stories that you read and you're like, oh, I don't even know what that makes sense. I don't know how, how that can be, but I'm going to trust God because his word is alive and active and it transforms me. It changes me. How many of you believe that today? Come on and give Jesus a praise. So how, what are, your, what are your doubts? What is it that you're doubting God? Are you doubting his promises? Are you doubting your calling? Are you doubting his plan for your life? Are you doubting him? Are you doubting that he exists? In the 1940s, there was these two well-known preachers, evangelists, Many of you have heard of Billy Graham, passed away several years ago. God used him in many ways. And there's this other man by the name of Charles Templeton. Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, they would actually do crusades together and they were good friends and good colleagues. And many believed in, back in the 1940s that Charles Templeton would actually be more known and have a more uh, thriving uh, ministry because of his dynamics and his uh, he was a very anointed preacher of God's word. And the reason why you don't know about Charles Templeton, or perhaps many of you may not know about him, is because when he started doing ministry and he was doing ministry with Billy Graham, there came a moment that he began to doubt God. God, if you are so good, this is what Charles Templeton started thinking. If you're so good, why is there so much evil? You must not be good or you must not be powerful enough to stop the evil in this world. That's the greatest question of theodicy that I'm sure many of us have thought about. And he started wrestling with his faith and rather than doubting towards God, he doubted away from God. And there came a point in his life that he got a Time magazine and he saw a woman holding her dead son and he had died because of starvation. And at that moment, Charles Templeton said, listen, I cannot preach a message when a good God allows something like this happen. And he stopped being a follower of Jesus. He stopped his ministry and he became an atheist. Then he was still friends with Billy Graham. They were still friends. And he started telling Billy, 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 listen, I think the, 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 the Bible is not really the word of God. Billy, I'm trying to save you from this. I think what, you, what you're preaching, what you're following, what you're tell, telling people, it is all hoax. It's, it's, it's made believe. And, and Billy started having doubts. But rather than doubting away from God, away from God, Billy started doubting towards God. And he brought his doubts to God. 
And there came a point in his life, Billy Graham, that he was on the campground. And there came a point in his life that he made the decision to just continue to pursue Christ and continue on in ministry. And he said the following, I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this to be your inspired word. From that day forward, over 3.2 million people have given their life to Jesus Christ through the ministry of Billy Graham because he pushed through the doubt. <laughs> Years later, Lee Strobel, who was an atheist and he wrote the book Case for Christ and Case for Faith, actually interviewed Charles Templeton. He went to his home. He was writing this book and you can read the book and it has a part that I'm about to share. And he asked Charles Templeton, tell me about Jesus at the end of the, of the interview. And he was not expecting to receive the answer that he gave him. He said, this is in his book. He was the greatest human being who has ever lived. This is an atheist. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death. What can one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? Everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. In my view, this is, this man said, Charles Templeton, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. And at the end of that time, his voice began to crack. That's what he writes. And he says the following, I miss him. I miss Jesus. I miss him. He was a man of God who was being used by God, who was an evangelist. And rather than taking his doubt and questions to God, he went away from God and lived not in the purposes that God had for him, but lived his own life. And at the end of his life, he said, I miss him. I miss him. Do you want to live a life that at the end of your life that you said, I miss Jesus? I didn't get enough time to spend with God. I doubted and I questioned God so much. I was so skeptical that I missed out on the calling and the purposes that he had for me. What are you questioning God with? What doubts do you have? Carlos, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand my marriage fell apart. How can a good God allow this? You don't understand what happened in COVID. Someone really close to me, a family member passed away. How, why did God not heal him? Why didn't God not answer my prayer? You don't understand, Carlos. I've been living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck and God is not supplying for all of my needs. I have some doubts. We all do. We all have questions at times. But bring your doubts not away from God, but towards God because God 
is a good and gracious God and the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Prince of Peace, the Bread of Life, the Resurrection and the Life, the Way, the Truth and the Life says, listen son, listen daughter, you have some doubts, but I'm gonna take you on this journey and you just gotta trust me. It doesn't make sense. I'm 89 years old. I'm 99 years old. I've been waiting 24 years. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense it's gonna happen next year. But God, I'm gonna trust you. How many of you believe that today? Come on and give Jesus a loud shout of praise. Come on, let's stand to our feet.